This episode of the Adoption Connection podcast is sponsored by Faith, Hope, and Connection, a 30-day devotional for adoptive and foster parents. In this book, you'll find real, often raw, stories from adoptive and foster parents in the trenches. You'll find scripture and faith-filled hope pointing you to Jesus, and you'll find honest reflections, speaking courage to your soul, and reminding you that you are not alone. This devotional is a gift to you from 30 authors, all foster and adoptive parents, who offer a window into their own lives and families. You'll recognize yourself time and time again in their words. Do not miss this devotional. This devotional is available on Amazon, both in softcover or Kindle version. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. Today is a Mentor Moments episode where we answer a listener question. These episodes give you a chance to join the conversation and guarantee we're providing the most helpful tools and resources for exactly where you are. This week's question is, my child seems nervous and worried a lot. How can I increase his felt safety? So, Melissa, could you start by kind of telling us what felt safety is and what um, happens in a child's brain? Yeah, so felt safety is actually, I always say there's only five reasons why our kids are misbehaving, and felt safety is one of them. And our nervous systems have this instinct called neuroception. You kind of think of like perception, how our child's perceiving the world. It's how your child's nervous system and how our nervous systems really are perceiving how safe we are. And it's an unconscious distinguishment. It's an it's a way that we unconsciously distinguish whether situations, people, relationships are safe, dangerous, or life-threatening. And when our kids have experienced chronic stress or have come from trauma or separation, a lot of times their neuroception can be inaccurate. So their nervous system is telling them that they're in danger and their reactions to situations may actually seem inappropriate or extreme. Right, and I think one of the things that happens to these children in um, who are in traumatic environments or neglect or abuse is that the lower regions of the brain, the ones that detect threat, become overdeveloped. And because the child's chronically in a seemingly unsafe and probably unsafe environment, so it gets overdeveloped from reacting to fear while the critical upper floors with the more advanced thinking are underdeveloped. So trauma triggers the lower part of the brain and shifts it into overdrive where it creates a chronic state of fear and produces toxic stress. Yeah, so that sounds really scary. The good thing is, is that there are some practical things that we can do to help retrain our child's nervous system so that it can feel safer. The first one is just even knowing that this is happening and being attuned to your child. So pay attention to those nonverbal signals that your child isn't feeling safe and kind of put away your preconceived notions about whether or not he should feel safe or not, because that way you can a lot of times help them out and help calm their nervous system before they're in a full blown meltdown. Right, because it doesn't actually matter so much if we know they're safe, if their little body and brain feels unsafe, then we have to address it and help them, even if we logically know that they're completely safe. 
So number two is name it to tame it. We love that line. I think Dan Siegel was the first person I heard say it, but maybe other people have. You know, it's really super unlikely your child's going to come out and say, I'm not feeling safe. They're probably going to show you with their behavior. So you need to narrate what you're seeing just because they might deny it if you say, if you're, are you feeling afraid? And they might say no. It doesn't actually mean that you're wrong. And so even though you might be naming it and saying, gosh, it seems like maybe this is really hard for you. Maybe you're a little scared to go into this school or whatever. Even if they say you're wrong, it's okay. You don't have to insist upon it. This is not something to have a control battle over for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And part of that, once you've given them the opportunity to even hear that it could be something different that they haven't thought about. So this naming entertainment, we want to give them voice. So we want to be able to hear them out, hear their behaviors as words, maybe coming out sideways. So we want to validate what they're saying to you. Uh, It doesn't have to mean that you agree with it or you wouldn't have to take an action towards it, but you know, hear what they're saying. If they are fearful, sometimes our kids will voice silly or ridiculous fears. You know, they might be afraid of a potato or a piece of food, or they might think that if they walk outside, there will be a giant tree frog that will eat them. Not that I have any experience with that whatsoever. So sometimes we do have to at least hear out what our child might be afraid of. Right, right. And then the fourth thing is validate their emotions. If they do express with words what they think is happening, even though we might not understand exactly where it's coming from, we can still still validate their emotions. Because, you know, there are a lot of situations that are perceived as dangerous or traumatic for people because they simply felt alone in the experience. Yeah, and so sometimes that could just sound like, you know, what might happen if a giant toad came out of the woods and ate you or, you know, what, what are you most afraid of about that situation? Um, You don't have to agree that there is a giant tree frog or toad out there, but you know, you can still kind of converse around it. Uh, Whenever possible, we want to offer our kids appropriate control. This could be offering choices or allowing our kids to ask for a compromise. We, whenever we're stressed, we want to feel in control. And that's true of us as adults. I had a situation uh, a couple weekends ago where there was craziness in my house. And all of a sudden I just felt like I wanted to control everyone. Like I wanted people to sit down in a certain place and shut up and sit in a corner, you know, you over here and then you over here and you stop doing that. But we can give our kids choices and voice and give them some control back that will help them feel safer. Right. Uh, Number six is match the arousal energy in a controlled way. So if your child is upset and his energy is high, you want to mirror his energy while still remaining in control. So, you know, think of yourself like an Oscar-winning actor. See if you can kind of stay with their degree of energy. This mirroring helps your child know that they are not alone. They know that you see them, which actually helps regulate their frightened nervous system. Yeah, it's like if you've ever seen people corral runaway horses, they have to kind of gallop right up to them as fast as they are, and then they kind of are able to latch onto them or maybe lasso them and then they slow them down a little at a time. So it's kind of, it's kind of like that. Number seven is stay playful. Playfulness is like a muscle. So if you're like me, you might have to give it a little bit of exercise. It can get stronger, but it can also atrophy. My playful muscle definitely atrophies the more stressed I am, but 
playfulness can definitely keep a situation from escalating by keeping the nervous system open. So I was actually talking to a gal recently who has a child who has some crazy, crazy fears. Actually, that's where my potato example came from. And she found that what's working for her is to kind of play into the fear, but in a playful way. Like if he says, I'm afraid of that potato, like she says, oh my gosh, you're right. The the potato, will you save me from the potato? It's so scary. And they kind of like run away from it together. And all of a sudden, like her child is realizing, oh, this is silly. Like, why are we running from the potato? And it, it's validating his fear in some way. And he's young enough where it's not, he doesn't seem see it as mocking, but they kind of get laughing about it and they're able to get past it. Um, and it's all, almost become like an inside joke in their family now. So, you know, get creative. Sometimes validating doesn't mean, you know, sitting down and having an eye to eye conversation and getting really serious about it. Sometimes our kids need us to take the levity out of the situation and kind of make it a little bit more light and playful. So I'm going to pause for a second. I want to just repeat the seven that we have just gone over because I realize we are moving pretty quickly. So we'll repeat them and then we'll repeat all of them at the end. So number one was be attuned to your child. Number two, name it to tame it. Number three, give voice. Four, validate your child's emotions. Five, offer appropriate control. Six, match their arousal energy in a controlled way. And seven, stay playful. So number eight is remain curious. You know, so often it's easy for us to jump to conclusions about our kids' behaviors. And sometimes we're assuming the worst because we've had hard experiences and it becomes like this self-fulfilling prophecy for our kids. So I find if I can really stay sort of calm and regulated myself and ask myself or my child questions to figure out what, what is happening here? What, what's happening in my child's brain? What's happening in their environment that might be making them feel unsafe? And I mean, I just went through this with one of my kids with a school situation and I couldn't figure out what was happening And it took a lot of exploration. And some of it was with him. Some of it was with teachers. But I had to be really curious until I finally figured out the root of what was going on. Yeah, super important. Nine is be consistent. And we hear this a lot in parenting that we need to be consistent with our boundaries and our rules. But as much as we can be even emotionally consistent, you know, the unknown is really scary for our kids. And so if they're not quite sure how we're going to react, that can keep them on edge, which is definitely something we don't need. So again, we're all humans. We'll all have our moments, but as much as you can take care of yourself so that you can put a little extra energy into having consistent responses to your kids, they need to see us as kind of the stable and predictable force in their life to feel safe. So number 10 is keep it concrete. Kids with brain differences usually struggle with abstract concepts. So we have to use tools that help them touch, feel, and experience something rather than just hear about it. We can't just tell them about it. We have to help them experience it in additional ways. And this will help them feel more capable of learning, which increases their sense of felt safety and security. Right. So an example would be like, if your child is worried about being separated from you rather than saying, you know, I'd never leave you, maybe leave them with a tangible object that they know you would never leave. So they may not trust that you won't leave them because they don't think they're precious enough, but they know you won't 
you know, run away without your car keys. I don't know. Obviously, you want it to be something that they lost it. It wouldn't be a big <laughs> Do deal. Do not give your child your car keys. An extra set or something, <laughs> right? Um, but like maybe a special piece of clothing mm-hmm. or a, a piece of jewelry that you're not super attached to, but they they know that you wouldn't leave without or something like that, that says, I'll come back. They know that you'll come back for at least that thing, which they have. One of our therapists, when our boys were young, um, had us print out a picture of Russ and I with him. And we actually, well, we actually put it around his neck. Now we know it's not such a good idea, but we could have just like clipped it or pinned it to his shirt. She wanted him to wear it so that anytime he felt unsure or unsafe, he could look and see this picture of him. He was wearing a picture of mom and dad and him. Yeah, that's cool. And we've done it with food too. And I know Lisa, you've done it with food Mm. too, putting food in places where our kids can see it, where it's accessible. You've talked about putting, you know, little packets of beef jerky in kids' pockets, Mm -hmm. having fruit out on the table. Those are all really concrete ways that we can help our kids conceptualize the things that we're saying, like you'll always have food and we'll always come back. Right. Number 11, less is more. So that's with a lot of things, fewer words. Some people say that our kids process only like every third to fifth word we say, less clutter in the house, less things on the schedule. Our kids are working so much harder than every other child to just keep up with all the things they're processing. A lot of times has been compromised. So we can lessen their load and increase their felt safety by just giving them less to juggle and keep up with. Number 12 is speak your child's love language. So we know that not everyone is familiar with love languages, but it's the idea that we all receive and give love in different ways. It's important to recognize this because if we give love in our one love language, but our kids receive it in entirely a different one, they may not feel loved or safe. You know, I know one of my kids, there's this quality time. Well, like I'm a little bit hooked on efficiency, so quality time is a little painful for me. You know what mine is? It's acts of service. So like for Mother's Day and birthdays, I ask my kids to help me do projects. That is how I feel loved. So this is a really, really useful tool. And we will include um, in the show notes a little, a link to a little love language quiz that you can take. Yeah, absolutely. The last one is something called the safe and sound protocol. And this is pretty specific, but This is a listening intervention that specifically was designed to help increase your child's felt safety using an auditory intervention. It's been designed and researched to reduce stress and auditory sensitivity, which also helps increase our kids' ability to socially engage, which good relationship is safe for a lot of us. And so access to better relationship can also increase felt safety. It also trains your ears to attune to sounds that help calm our nervous system. Those are higher frequency sounds. So we'll have a link to how to find out more about that in the show notes as well. We're going to review all of these points one more time, but if you're driving or doing the dishes, we'll also list them out in the show notes. Um, You'll be able to find those at theadoptionconnection.com slash 60. So I will, shall I race through them, Melissa? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Number one, be attuned to your child. Two, name it to tame it. Three, give voice. Four, validate their emotions. Five, offer appropriate control. Six, match their arousal energy in a controlled way. Seven, stay playful. Eight, remain curious. Nine, be consistent. 
10, keep it concrete. 11, less is more. 12, speak your child's love language. And 13, you might want to check out the safe and sound protocol. And I, I thought it might be, um, this is a little spontaneous, Melissa, but I thought it might be kind of interesting if we both shared maybe a specific story about our families and figuring out what made one of our kids feel safe. And I actually have something in my mind. So while I tell my story, you have a few minutes to think, Melissa. <laughs> but <laughs> we didn't plan this, so... But I was just thinking about one of my kids who had a lot of trouble sleeping. And I think this was potentially a combination of not feeling safe, but also some sensory things. But, you know, we tried a lot of different things to help him sleep. And the thing that finally made the biggest difference for him is we had one of those little children's tents, you know, the little pop-up type. And we actually put it on his bed. And we put a sleeping bag in there. We put his little stuffed animals and all his favorite things. And then he would get in there and he would zip it shut or most of the way shut because in that enclosed space, he just felt safer. And it was such a small thing really to do to increase his his felt safety that he was safe in this world. He was safe in our family and we weren't going to let anything hurt him. So small example, but it was pretty powerful. I mean, he slept in this little tent for quite a while. Also, just being in a sleeping bag sometimes makes kids feel safe. So it's funny, ours is sleep related too. We had all three girls in one room at one time and we hit this loft bunk bed that we had custom built into the corner and it was bunk beds on one side and then had a L-shaped loft, another top bunk on the coming out perpendicular. And we put our daughter who sleepwalks on the bottom bunk for obvious reasons, because we didn't want her climbing up and down ladders in her sleep. (laughs) She also is our child who... That that was smart of you, Melissa. I'm proud you thought of that. (laughs) I know. Well, but it backfired because she was also our child who felt the least safe. Mm. And she had a lot of these, she had a lot of crazy fears. So she was so upset that she was on the bottom bunk she was the only one of the three of them on the bottom because the other two girls had the top lofts. And her reasoning was because she thought if someone came into the room to kidnap them all, she would be the first to go because she would be the most accessible. We didn't feel safe about putting her on the top bunk because of the sleepwalking, but we did give her a curtain. So kind of like your tent concept across the side of her bed that hid her. Now her brain was telling her, if a predator comes into our room, I won't be the first person they will see because I'm hidden behind the curtain. Now they'll get my sisters instead. <laughs> and that helped her stay on the bottom bunk. <laughs> well, you know, this is this actually goes to the point about be curious too. Like, what is it that they're truly afraid of? How, sometimes it's as simple as things. Like kids who are afraid of a, the dark – give them a flashlight. I actually noticed that one of my kids, we have some of these little battery operated lanterns and one of my kids was sleeping with it on the other night. Now, I think that might've been because this child was reading late at night, but you know, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe he just wanted a little light in his room to feel safer. I'm not sure. But anyhow, like it's just, there are simple things we can do, but we have to be curious and really explore what it is that our child needs. 
Yeah, absolutely. So we're curious to know what else has worked for you and in increasing felt safety for your child. You can join the conversation in our Facebook group. We'd love to have you join us there. You can find that also at the show notes or go to the adoptionconnection.com slash Facebook. Again, all the notes for this episode are in the show notes at the adoptionconnection.com slash 60. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.